0: Welcome everybody, I am so glad that you are joining us today, whether you're doing that in person at one of our campuses or watching online. Either way, you've picked a great day to be here because we are kicking off a brand new series of messages called Habitudes. The heart behind the habits that change our lives. You know, obviously most of us think about our habits and our attitudes as being two different things, two different aspects of our lives, right? Because our habits are those actions that we do consistently over a long period of time and they kind of determine the direction of our lives. Like what's that old saying, you sow a deed, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a lifestyle. Attitude, on the other hand, has less to do with actions and more to do with our emotions, how we feel, right? Our attitudes are the ways in which we internally face whatever's going on externally, right? You can face bad situations with either a good attitude or a bad attitude, a a positive attitude or a negative attitude, but it's all about what you are choosing inside. So we have habits and attitudes, and most of us think of them separately, but I would contend that habits and attitudes are linked together. I would say, actually, that they are two sides of the same coin. And the reason I say that is because, yes, you need to practice the right habits, but you also need to do it with the right attitudes in order to get where you're wanting to go. And and nowhere is that more true than when it comes to our spiritual growth. Right? Becoming more like Jesus. Because you can have all the right habits, but if you have the wrong attitude, you'll just end up being self righteous. Right? I mean, look no further than the religious leaders of Jesus Christ. I mean, they had all the spiritual habits down pat. I mean, these were the most disciplined spiritual people who had ever lived. They did the right thing every day in the right order, and yet Jesus looked at them and called them a bunch of whitewashed tombs. Why would he say that? Because they looked good on the outside, but they were rotten on the inside. They have the right habits, but the wrong attitude. But also, you can have a great attitude, but the wrong habits, and you will end up walking down the road to destruction. Now, you might be walking down that road with a smile on your face because you got a good attitude, but you're still headed off a cliff. We need both. See, if we can learn how to develop the right habits with the right attitude or what I like to call the habitudes, the right habitudes, it can lead to lasting positive change in our lives, right? Now, this word habitude is not original with me, nor is this concept of habits and attitudes going together original with me. In fact, you can look back several thousand years to the writer of the book of Psalms. Look at what he says, Psalm 119, 112. He says, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Do you see that connection between attitudes and habits? I incline my heart, in other words, I get my attitude right to perform your statutes, to build these behaviors in. And notice the result, when you have the right habitude, the results are lasting, he says, forever to the end. And so here's what I wanna do. Over the next couple of weeks, I want us to explore several key habitudes that are essential for spiritual growth. And here's the great news for all of us. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, Whatever you've done or not done up to this point in your life, all of us, all of us are just one next step from a new and better direction for our lives. And that is exciting. And I'm excited to be a part of it. And so we're going to begin our journey, our habitude journey today. By looking at the first habitude, I think that is essential. And that is worshiping sacrificially. Worship is the habit we need to develop in our lives. Sacrificially is the attitude with which we need to practice it. So what is worship? When you hear that word, what sort of images or ideas pop into your brain? Well, it probably depends on your background and experience in life. If you you grew up in the church, when you hear the word worship, you maybe think of it as being an event. A worship service is something you go to for one hour, one day a week. And so worship is an event. It's kind of like what we're doing right now. Some of you, when you hear the word worship, you think specifically about the music right? The music part of the services, that time where we sing these songs about Jesus, these songs of praises to God. That's worship to you. For some of you, when you think of worship, you immediately default to a a state of mind, a state of being, sort of this emotion or mood that you feel, right? And for some of you, you think of feeling in worship as quiet, and reflective. Some of you think of worship as loud and proud and excited and passionate. Now listen, all of those things are a part of worship. But understand this, worship is so much more than just a service, a song, or a feeling. Worship is a way of life. Worship is not something we do for an hour a week when we gather together or tune in online. Worship is a lifestyle. It is a way we are to live our daily lives. In fact, notice how the apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 12. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This, Paul says, is your true and proper worship. Two things I want you to notice in that verse. One, that Paul says that worship is something we do in response to something that has been done for us. Paul says, in view of God's mercy, because of what God has done for us, our response, worship is a response to what's been done for us. But notice Paul also says it means being a living sacrifice. Our response to what God has done is to offer ourselves, our bodies, our beings, everything about us, every day, every moment as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That phrase, living sacrifice, would have sounded extremely weird to the people Paul was writing to because for a first century Jew the uh, this idea of sacrifice in worship was anything but living it was to take something living and kill it as a sacrifice right a sacrifice had to die and be burned up on the altar maybe a li- a sacrifice was living right up until the moment that it was offered in worship and then it was dead But Paul says, no, 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 we're under a new covenant through Christ. You no longer offer living things to be killed as an act of worship. You now live your life as a sacrifice to give your life away. So I guess what I'm saying, bottom line is this. Worship is living my life in response to who God is And what he has done for me. Let me say that again. Worship is living my life. Every day. Every moment. Living my life in response to who God is. And what he has done for me. That is the habit that we are to develop. A habit of a life of worship. And sacrificially is the attitude. The heart behind which we are to Practice this habit. So the question is how? How do you do this? What does this look like when you leave here? What does this look like at the office Monday morning or when school gets back in or in your neighborhood or wherever it is that you live and interact? What does it look like to live a life of sacrificial worship? Well, there are many, hundreds, if not thousands of things we can do. I want to focus on three core things. Three core truths about how to worship sacrificially. Number one, the first thing I have to do is shift the focus from me to God. Sacrificial worship means shifting the focus from myself, from me, and putting it on God. To develop this daily habit of worship with an attitude of sacrifice, requires me to think less about me and more about God. Now, notice I didn't say think less of me, right? Sacrificial worship is not self-loathing. Sacrificial worship is not going around, you know, with a feeling sorry for yourself, an Eeyore attitude, I'm a bad donkey, I'll never be anything, Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat some worms. No, that's not sacrificial worship. It's not thinking less of me. It's thinking less about me and more about God. Interesting, our word worship, that English word, worship, actually comes from an old English word, and it is the word worth Skype. Worth Skype, which literally means to ascribe worth, to put value on something. So what you value the most is what you're worshiping. I don't care what songs you sing on Sunday morning or whose name you lift up with your voice. The truth is whatever you value most, that's what you're worshiping. And let's get real. The thing we value most is us ourselves, what we like, what we want, what we desire. And sadly, we live in a culture that feeds that focus on self, right? I mean, Burger King is not the only one who wants you to have it your way. In fact, most of the advertising world, most of the culture is all about putting the focus on you. Social media, All social media is designed to help you make more of you. You It focuses on what you want. That's why whatever you like or stop scrolling and watch whatever videos, whatever news organization, whatever you like is what the algorithm in social media will send you more of. Why? Because they want to feed that addiction to you. Self. And we all have it, and we all struggle with it every day. And yet the Bible says self-focus is the exact opposite of worship. Again, the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 8. Paul says when people's thinking is controlled by the sinful self, they are against God. Those people who are ruled by their sinful selves cannot please God. God. I think if we're honest, we'd have to admit that sometimes that self-focus can find its way into our corporate worship gatherings, right? When we come together like this, if the band plays the song I like and is sung by the singer I like, then I go, worship was fantastic today. Today. But if they don't play the songs I like and they're not sung by the singer I like, we walk out and go, worship was not very good today. Or if the preacher I like is preaching a message on a topic that I liked and I say, man, worship was great today. But if it's not the preacher I like and he's not preaching a topic I like, I go, man, worship wasn't very good today. Why? Because we think it's all about us. Now hear me, hear my heart. I am not saying that it is wrong to have preferences, preferences in music, preferences in message styles. There's nothing wrong with having those preferences. We all do. That's part of how God wired us. What I'm saying is when my preferences become the measuring stick for the depth of my worship, I've missed the whole heart of worship because it's not about me. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews, our God is a consuming fire. Too many of us come in to our Sunday worship services looking to be consumers of worship instead of being consumed in worship before a holy God. But look, it's not just our corporate worship experiences in which we can get focused on ourselves. It's how we worship in our daily lives. And remember, worship is not a Sunday morning experience. It's how we are to live every day of our lives. And that self-focus can happen then. In fact, Jesus made a point of pointing out two examples of this during his ministry on earth. One of them had to do with worship through prayer. Most of us would agree that prayer is a part of worship. And so Jesus told a parable about two men who went up to the temple to pray. One of the men was a Pharisee, a religious leader. And Jesus said when he went to pray, literally Jesus said he prayed about himself. Jesus' words, look it up, Luke 18. And his prayer was all about himself. Lord, thank you that I'm so much better than all these bums around here. Thank you, Lord, that I follow all your rules. I'm so righteous. Thank you, Jesus, that I get everything right. But Jesus said the other man was a tax collector, the scum of the earth. And when he went up to pray, he couldn't even look up to heaven. All he could do was fall down in the dirt and beg for God's mercy, beg for God healing, And hope, and Jesus said only one of those two walked away justified, walked away truly connected with God. And it wasn't the self righteous religious leader. Now, think about this both men practicing the same habit, prayer, but two very different attitudes. Another example of this is worship through giving. Giving is obviously a way to express our worship, our gratitude to God. And so one day, Jesus and his disciples were hanging out outside the temple area, and people were going into the temple to worship. And on the way in, the offering box was on the outside. They didn't pass plates. There was a box in which you dropped your offering in on your way into the temple. And so Jesus is watching all these wealthy people put money, big money, in the box, and then all of a sudden, when nobody's looking, a little old widow lady tries to sneak in. She doesn't want anybody to see because all she's giving is two copper coins. But when she drops those in the box, it is such a powerful moment that Jesus says, Hey, guys, hey, guys, don't miss this. Do you see that? She gave. Everything. These other people, they gave out of the abundance of wealth, but she gave with a sacrificial spirit because it was all she had. Worship, sacrificial worship means I got to get myself out of the center of the universe. So, so let me ask you a, a personal question. Wrestle with this. I've been wrestling with it all week. I just figure misery loves company. So I'm going to ask you this hard question, too. The question is this What one aspect of your worship needs to be a little less about you and a little more about God? Is it the way you view corporate worship? Is it the way you give? Is it in your prayer life? Is it in the way you serve others? If we're gonna develop the habitude of sacrificial worship, it has to be less about me and more about God. Number two, the second thing I need to develop sacrificial worship is a heart of surrender. I have to develop a heart of surrender because sacrificial worship not only means focusing less on me, but it also means giving up more of me. Our desire for control is one of the biggest barriers to us living a life of worship. Our desire to try to control the circumstances around us, control the people around us, we try to control the people at work, we try to control our spouses, our children, our neighbors. It is that desire for control that often gets in the way of truly worshiping God. You know, it's interesting. If you do a Google image search of the word worship, almost every picture that will come up on your screen is a picture of a person or persons with their hands like this. Right? You see this everywhere. This has become sort of the symbol, the visual symbol of worship. Right, And if you're kind of new to the whole church thing, maybe you've shown up at one of our campuses and you've seen people doing this, or you're watching online and the camera pans back and you see people doing this, like, what are they doing? Right, I don't understand. Do they have a question? Do they need to go to the bathroom? What are they doing with their hands stuck up? No, they don't need to potty and they don't have questions. They are expressing outwardly a desire to be surrendered inwardly, right? Because what does this mean? This is the international symbol of surrender. That's why we raise our hands in worship. But can I just give you a little real talk here? It's much easier to do this on Sundays in a service than it is to live this out in our homes, our schools, our workplaces, and our neighborhoods. And yet, in order to worship sacrificially, we got to surrender and let's be honest, we don't like surrender. Surrender is not a popular concept especially in our culture as Americans. In a culture where winning is everything, this don't settle to good in here, giving up, throwing in the towel, right? A gold medal, that's America. Bronze and silver, that's for Russia and other people, right? You've been watching the Olympics this week, and we like to pretend we don't feel this way, but we are Americans, and like me, you're probably a little competitive. Like, for example, last week with the women's gymnastics, right? Simone Biles, undoubtedly the greatest gymnast ever, Right, She accounts for 70% of the American team points. So we gotta have her to win. And yet right at the beginning of the competition, she withdraws, not because of physical injury, but because of her mental health, because of what's going on mentally in her. Now let me say this, as a mental health advocate, I am thrilled by that. And here's why, because I know Our community, our nation is filled with young people who are overwhelmed by the stuff of life, but there's too much stigma for them to raise their hand and say, I need help. And if she is willing to do this on this platform, I believe it's going to open the door, at least has the potential to open the door to thousands, if not tens of thousands of people being able to say, I'm not okay. And it's okay not to be okay. So there's a part of me that's thrilled by that, but can I just just be honest with you, when I was sitting there watching it, I'm like, no, 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 girl, you can't quit. This is America. We gotta beat the Russians. We need you. Now, I know I feel horrible about that. Don't send me emails. I already beat myself up. But that's how deeply ingrained this desire to win is. See, my point is this. We hear that word surrender and it sticks in our crawl. Because we think surrender is defeat. We think surrender is giving up or giving in. But notice, the Bible has a very different definition of surrender. Romans chapter 6, Paul says, give yourselves to God. Surrender your whole being to him to be what? What is that word? Say it out loud. To be what? Used for righteous." purposes. You check that out. Surrender is not giving up. Surrender is giving myself over to be used for something bigger than myself. Can I just tell you, there's no greater source of fulfillment in life than to be used by God for something bigger than yourself. It's because that's how we were created. We were created to be used by God to make a difference in the lives of others. Many of you have experienced that in your life. You've had that time where you've just kind of ended up at one of those divine appointments. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're kind of just in the right place at the right time to be able to help somebody else, to be kind, to meet a need. Or maybe in your life, you've been through some difficult and painful experiences and God has been there giving you the strength to get through it. And now all of a sudden God brings other people into your life who are walking down that same road and God is able to use you to make a difference in their life. That's what it means to be surrendered, to be used by God, to give yourself over for something bigger than yourself. But you've got to have the right heart. Those opportunities don't happen if you don't have a surrendered heart. So how do you do that? two things, write these down. Surrender requires two things. One, it requires trust. Surrender requires trust. I will never, ever willingly surrender myself to someone or something that I don't trust. If I don't trust that they love me and have my best interests in heart, I'm not going to surrender. Kind of like the trust fall. Any of y'all ever done that silly trust fault like camp or some kind of kumbaya corporate lovey-dovey retreat? You know what I'm talking about? You stand up in the chair, face backwards, put your hands over your chest, there's a group of people behind you and you're supposed to just fall back and trust them to catch you. Anybody ever been a part of one of those? Any of it? Yeah, only like five of us were stupid enough to do it. But anyway, let me ask you this. Does it matter who's behind you? Does it matter who's in that crowd they're supposed to catch you? Sure. I mean, I want it to be people that I know love me, people that have my best interests in heart, people who don't want to see my head splattered on the concrete, right? Why? Because surrender requires trust. Same is true in your relationship with God. You'll never really surrender your life to God unless you truly trust God, that you trust that he loves you that he has a plan and a purpose that's better than any plan or purpose that you have, that he has your best interest at heart. And you say, Philip, I don't think I believe that because there are things in my life that shouldn't have happened. There are prayers I prayed and he didn't provide. He didn't answer in the way I wanted. How can I know that I can trust God? How can I know that he loves me and wants the best for me? Just look at the cross. Look at at the cross that he was willing to suffer and die rather than be without you. In fact, notice Romans 5:8 says but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us. Surrender requires trust, but guess what? It also requires obedience. Surrender requires obedience. In fact, obedience is actually the outward expression of trust, right? This Getting up in the chair and folding your hands, I guess that's trust. Obedience is falling back and letting go. Obedience is where we put trust into play. Easy to do when it makes sense. Really hard to do when what God asks you to do doesn't make sense. Great example with the apostle Peter Before he was the Apostle Peter, he and his brother Andrew were just fishermen, professional fishermen. It was the family business. One night they were out fishing and they had fished all night long and hadn't gotten a nibble. Hadn't caught a single thing. And as professional fishermen, I guarantee you, they did everything. They used every trick in the book. They spit on the worm. They held their mouth the right way. They, they cruised over to all their honey holes to try to catch fish. And nothing, zero, nada they struck out. That morning, they were sitting in their boats on the shore, mending their nets, when Jesus showed up and started teaching a large crowd of people. In fact, there were so many people, they kept pushing Jesus back, and so he asked if he could get into their boat, use it like a platform, and they're like, sure, we got no fish to clean, nothing else to do. So Jesus preaches, and when he's done, Jesus turns to Peter and his brother and says, hey dudes, let's go fishing. And they're like, yeah, not a good day. We've been fishing all night. And haven't caught a thing. And Jesus, is like, yeah, I know the problem. You've been putting your net on the wrong side of your boat. Like, what? That's stupid, right? We're professional fishers. You really think putting the net on the other side of the boat? It's the same water. It's like five feet apart. That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. That would be my reaction. But interestingly, that wasn't Peter's reaction. Look at what Peter says, Luke 5 5. Master, We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But, it's one of those big buts in the Bible, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Talk about obedience. Trusting, surrendering enough to God to say yes when what he's asking you to do, the step he's asking you to take, the faith he's asking you to have doesn't make sense. And yet it requires that kind of heart of surrender to live the habitude of sacrificial worship. And then finally, number three, the third thing I need to do is be authentic with God. To be authentic with God. Real worship is about being real with God. In fact, that's what God says. Notice Isaiah 29, 13. The Lord says, these people worship me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is based on nothing but human rules. You see that? He said, they got the right habits. They just have the wrong attitude. Right? There's no authenticity. They're just going through the motions. Probably the greatest worshiper of God who's ever lived has to be David in the Old Testament. You know, David is so much more than a kid who killed a giant with a slingshot. And he's so much more than just a guy who became the greatest king the nation of Israel ever had. David is at his core a worshiper of God. In fact, the book of Psalms in the middle of the Bible, about 90-something percent of those Psalms were written by David. A psalm is a song or poem of worship. And David wrote most of them. And if you go in there and read them, you can see, man, David is so authentic in his relationship with God. Because like, yeah, yeah, on one hand, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But a few Psalms later, he's like, where are you, God? Don't you care? You're absent on the job. Don't you love me? What kind of God are you? In fact, you read some of the Psalms that David wrote and you're like, David, you can't talk to God like that. You're gonna get struck by lightning. You keep doing that, and yet what does God say? This is a man after my own heart. Why? Because he was real and authentic with God. And that's what God cares most about. 1 Samuel 16. God does not see the same way people see. People look at the outside of a person. But the Lord looks at the heart. See, maybe you've had this idea that in order to worship God, you got to pretend that everything's okay. That you got to paint on a smile and act like you've got it all together. Maybe that's what you do when you come to worship on Sunday mornings. You're carrying all this baggage, all this pain all this brokenness, and yet when you pull in the parking lot, you feel like you got to leave that junk in the trunk and come in here with a painted-on smile and sing the songs and raise your hand and tell everybody, I'm doing great, and then you pick up that baggage and try to carry it by yourself through the whole rest of the week and hope and pray you can get to the next Sunday. But let me tell you something, that is not worship. You don't have to do that. Sacrificial worship is not pretending that you don't have pain. Sacrificial worship is not pretending that you have way more questions about God than answers of God. Sacrificial worship is not leaving your pain and questions outside and coming in here. Sacrificial worship is bringing that pain, bringing those tears, bringing those questions, bring those broken dreams and lay them at the feet of Jesus. Because as you do that, slowly, slowly but surely, your eyes will begin to lift from the baggage and the pain and the struggles and you'll lift your head to the God of hope and healing and resurrection. Let me tell you this, from my own personal experience, your deepest level of worship will be found in your darkest moments in life because then you don't have the energy to play pretend. All you can do is desperately get before the throne of God and beg for his mercy, his help and his strength. And I know there are some of you here this morning, in person online, some of you are right there today and I want to invite you right now wherever you are bring that hurt to Jesus bring that pain bring those questions bring that brokenness and lay it at his feet so wherever you are right now just bow your head close your eyes no distractions just bow your head close your eyes across all of our campuses online and just begin to pour out whatever is in you Burdens, struggles, failures, sin, whatever it is, right now, right where you are, just pour it out to him. Jesus, I I thank you that we can come to you in the midst of wherever we are and get before you and recognize your worth that we can begin to see you and see our struggles in light of you. Father, we need that perspective. We come today not to go through motions, not to check a spiritual habit box, but we come to connect with you, to draw close to you because you and you alone are the only one who is worthy. You're the only one who can help. You are the only one who can give us hope. So we come before you in worship with the hands of our heart raised in surrender. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.